Good morning, everybody. Yeah, it's good to be together in a new year. Um, welcome. Uh, welcome to Park Hill Church. My name's Evan. Uh, my wife, Sandy. There she is. There's all my kids, too, in a, in a, in a row. Harper on the ground. Uh, my wife, Sandy, and I have the joy of leading this church alongside an incredible team. And like I said, today is the first Sunday of 2021, which means we are back in 1 Corinthians. Okay, guys, we're back in 1 Corinthians. So if you could, open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 9. In January of 2020, we started this book as a church, and then we had quite a year. Um, we walked through the first half of this book, and we also did a series on the resurrection. And we did a Holy Spirit series in the summer and an Advent series last month, and we still managed to get through eight chapters of 1 Corinthians. And today we crossed the 50-yard line. We hit chapter 9, uh, where Paul's right in the middle of making a really important point. And you guys, it is so timely. Followers of Jesus are people who give up all their personal rights and freedoms if it means more people encounter Jesus. This is literally where Paul goes in this chapter. Insane how timely this is for us in our current moment. Everyone's kind of on edge right now in different degrees about civic rights and democracy and personal freedoms. And this is exactly what Paul is getting at here in chapter 9. The question he's, he's responding to, how should we, the people of God's kingdom, be thinking about our personal rights and freedoms here on earth? Where should those things land on our priority list? This is where Paul goes in this chapter. So this is where we're going because we believe the scriptures are God's word for all time and all cultures. So today we'll walk through the whole chapter, chapter nine, and make a few observations for our church family as we head into a new year. But before we dive in to chapter nine, it's been a while. So let's remember like where we are on the map, okay? First Corinthians is a letter written by Paul to a little church in the big city of ancient Corinth. And ancient Corinth was a lot like modern San Diego, New York, LA, tons of industry and opportunity and wealth and innovation, all great things, and a high value of personal freedoms and rights as citizens. Uh, but all that good stuff came with downsides, just like it does now, classism, unrestrained sexuality, celebrity worship, people dividing over politics, just to name a few things. Some of that sounds familiar to us, maybe. Um, and all these issues were creeping into the church and causing all kinds of problems and division, okay? That, that's why Paul kicks off this letter in chapter 1 with his thesis statement, where he says, verse 10, I beg you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. How are we doing with that? <laughs> this is Paul's ask. It seems like a tall order, but this is the thesis statement of 1 Corinthians. That's a command to be perfectly united around Jesus, and it's the umbrella over this whole letter. And listen, he's not saying we all need to share the same opinions about everything. It's about how we hold those opinions. He's not saying to share the same thoughts about everything. He's saying we already share the same mind, the mind of Christ. We have access to the mind of Messiah. And that's the unity we share. That's what he says in chapter two. Literally, you have the mind of Christ. And then chapters three and four is all about what leadership looks like in the kingdom. It's not arrogance and wealth and status. It's sacrificial love. 
and it's a gentle spirit. That's leadership in the kingdom. And then chapters five and seven, all about what sexuality looks like in the kingdom of Jesus. In Jesus' kingdom, sex isn't only about consent, although it's important, a a very important part of sexuality. It's not only about consent. It's also about faithfulness to Jesus's own vision for singleness and marriage. He has a sexual ethic, Jesus does. And, and, then, and then chapter eight, where Paul launched into a whole new section, which we're in now in chapter nine, chapter eight through 10 is all about the importance of giving up our felt rights for the sake of the worthless person according to society the worthless person that Corinthian culture thought was worthless or American culture thinks is on the margins. We give up our rights for these people that they might experience Jesus through us, that we might love God and others well. So if you remember a month ago, Dr. Gary Bashirs helped us think through chapter eight. Remember Dr. Bashirs, Most just congenial, magnetic, uh, elderly gentleman in the world. And uh, he helped us think through chapter eight. Remember that sentence he kept repeating, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Yeah, knowledge makes you arrogant, has a tendency to, but love builds up and, and lifts up, not you, but the community. And, and the idea is knowledge isn't bad. Like research and data is all great. It's important to know things. But when our ultimate value is being right and having all the data, instead of being loving, then things get really destructive really quick. That's the idea. And isn't that, isn't that timely for us right now? Isn't that timely in this current moment when everyone with Google is suddenly a public health expert, right? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And I just want to say some of the, I want to say this, listen, church, some of the kindest, most patient, compassionate people I've talked with over the last 10 months are the scientists and doctors and public health professionals in this church. Well done, you guys. Back in September, when Park Hill was starting to move back into in-person gatherings, I don't know if you remember that. So March through September, we're fully online. And then September, we started moving back very cautiously. And some of the most supportive and helpful and kind input and encouragement we got was from doctors and public health experts who are still personally uncomfortable coming, by the way. They're still personally uncomfortable coming in person, even though we're outdoors, while being very supportive of what we're doing. So one doctor said, Evan, I love and trust you, and I'm fully behind the team decision to regather outdoors with masks. That's super wise. Just know this, as a doctor with a public health background, I personally still won't be there until quite later, but just know that I'm committed to my community, and I'm fully committed to this church, and to you as my pastor, I'm with you 100%. Like you guys, like... Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Like that is what it looks like to hold knowledge humbly and be led by love. This is how we are going to unite around the gospel in 2021. There's no other way. Which brings us to 1 Corinthians 9. Paul's continuing his point about unity and how true unity demands that we give up our rights and freedoms for the sake of others. And to make his point, Paul lists his own rights. He has a lot of rights and perks of being Paul. 
Look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1. He says, Am I not free as a Roman citizen? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? How many of us have seen physical Jewish Jesus on a road? No, that's, that's a huge right that he's earned. Uh, are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, a successful church planter. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Talking about himself. He has a right to eat whatever he wants. Don't we have the right to take a believing wife? He has a right to get married, but he's not. He says, or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to work for a living? So that's quite an impressive list of rights. Like freedom as a Roman citizen, rights as an apostle specifically commissioned by the risen Jesus in person, status as a successful church planter, the right to eat and drink, get married and get paid for his work as a Roman citizen. Paul has a lot of rights to lose. And then Paul uses three examples of these rights, kind of like metaphors, uh, a soldier, a vineyard owner, and a shepherd. Verse 7, he says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Meaning, you put your life on the line, you get paid. You have a right to get paid. Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and doesn't drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. I mean, even the ox has a right to eat as it's working. Um, verse 10, surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us. Because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. We have a right to get paid. If we've sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. So Paul's saying, if soldiers and shepherds have the right to get paid, then for sure I do because I'm fighting for you and I'm feeding you like a shepherd and a soldier. And then he says, but I don't use this right with you. I'd rather give up pay. I'd rather lose all my rights than keep any of you from seeing Jesus in my life. And then look at the next two verses. He talks about even priests getting the right to have money for their work. He says, don't you know that those who serve in the temple, they get their food from the temple. And that those who serve at the altar share what is offered on the altar. Verse 14, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So wait a minute, Paul. What are you, it sounds like you're making conflicting arguments here. At this point, it's sounding like Paul is making an argument to get paid fairly as a pastor. Is Paul saying pastors should make a fair wage? Is that what he's saying here? Generally, yes, but for him personally, no. Here's what I mean. In other words, yes, Paul is arguing that pastors who, may, who give their whole life to discipling people in the gospel in general should be paid fairly. He says the Lord has commanded this, that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. And, and by the way, a note on this, guys. Um, I want you to know, you guys just gave. We just did the giving. Scott led us in the generosity liturgy. Our church's finances are governed by a separate board of directors, separate from the elders. 
and all our books are open and accountable to a third party, another third party, and the board of directors has agreed to pay the Wickham family a very fair salary for a family of seven living in urban San Diego, okay? The Wickham family is well taken care of, and we serve this church by providing leadership. It's our joy, and we're so thankful. And I take a moment right now just to say thank you for your faithful giving that enables all of the moving parts, including the food on the Wickham table, to exist. Uh, this is biblical. And, and our board of directors agrees with Paul that, yes, you have biblical board of directors. Yes, those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. That's a point Paul is making. At the same time, Paul's making a conflicting personal point. He's saying, yes, that's a right, but I've given that up. Paul's saying, because of a specific circumstance in Corinth, we don't know what it was exactly. Because of the specific circumstances in Corinth, the work of the gospel in that moment demanded that Paul personally give up his right to get paid. Don't know what those circumstances were, but that's just like hundreds of you guys that have signed up to serve. You're in good company with Paul. Set up, tear down, tech, worship, teaching the kids, setting up with the kids, serving. Uh, You guys are in really good company with Paul who have chosen to further the gospel of Jesus without pay. Really good, really good company with Paul. So again, no one knows exactly why Paul gave up his right to get paid. Some say he was trying to critique a super wealth-obsessed culture. Other scholars say he was trying to distinguish himself from the money-hungry celebrity cults that were around all these philosophers that would travel and speak and demand higher and higher bids to come speak in private villas, which would happen. No one knows why Paul's giving up his pay But that's part of the point. The point is, there could be any reason any one of us gives up any of our rights for the sake of love and others seeing Jesus clearly. The point is that we do it. We do it when the Spirit is calling us to do it. The point in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul listens to the Holy Spirit. He's sensitive to what the gospel demands in a certain moment. And this meant, at that moment, giving up his right to fair pay as a citizen of Rome and servant of the church. And by the way, this wasn't the case for Paul forever, because in 2 Corinthians, he spends two chapters asking for money. (laughs) So there was a time to change that tack. Uh, But right now, the gospel demanded a specific right to be given up in a specific moment for specific people. He's giving up his right to get paid. Look at verse 15. He says this, I've not used any of these rights. Which ones? Right to get married, right to eat whatever he wants, right to drink whatever he wants, right to get paid, right to say, I'm Roman. I have rights as a Roman. He gave up all that. And he says, I'm not writing this in the hope that you'll do such things for me. He doesn't want us to copy and paste him. He wants us to listen to the spirit for ourselves. Verse 16, for when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. This is what 
Paul was called to give up in this moment for this specific people. And so the question for us, how is the Spirit calling you and us as Park Hill Church to give up our rights or to give up our need to be right for the moments God is leading us into this year? According to Paul, Jesus' followers are people who willingly give up these things for the sake of Jesus' kingdom, whatever they are. Again, Paul doesn't want us to copy him, cut and paste him, like not get married because Paul didn't get married or whatever. Instead, he hopes we're led by the Spirit. What are these freedoms and rights that the Spirit is calling us to give up today? Whether it's our constitutional rights as citizens of America, our freedom of expression, our freedom of assembly, certain aspects of our freedom of assembly. They are our rights, absolutely. Whatever these freedoms we feel belong to us. And it's important to say right away, Paul does not say these rights are bad things. The opposite. (laughs) He uses his Roman citizenship to get himself out of trouble. Remember, he pulls the I'm a Roman card three times in the book of Acts. They're like going to put him on unfair trial. He's like, I'm a Roman. You can't try me unfairly or you'll be busted. They're like, oh, shoot. And so they move him up the pipeline. He uses his Roman citizenship for the kingdom. So he's not against using civic rights. Not at all. But his whole point here is for Jesus followers, knowing my rights is only one side of the story. It's only ever one side of the story. According to Paul, it's not enough to say, it's my constitutional right to do X, so I'm just going to do X. It's not enough for Jesus followers. It's not enough. Rights and freedoms were a big deal in Corinth, just like they are in America. So this is just as hard for them to hear as it is for us. This is in our blood, you guys. This is going after our, our DNA as Americans. And if there's anything we learned from last year, it's that there are times when the loving, honoring, but very difficult thing to do is to not act on your rights, but to give them up for the sake of the vulnerable, the worthless person, according to society. This is central to Paul's whole argument here in chapters 8 through 10. You could argue this is the center of 1 Corinthians. Paul gives this long list of his rights as an apostle. And then he says dramatically, but for your sake, Corinth, in this moment, so you can see the fullness of Jesus through this life. I give them all up. Paul wants this church to see there's something bigger and better than rights. Rights by themselves can lead to arrogance and sabotage the work of the gospel. Paul's goal here is to make us see that Christian freedom, real freedom, is not the freedom to do what you want. But true freedom is freedom from all the things that keep us from who God sees us becoming. Which means freedom for serving God and serving others. Here's how Paul says it. Look at verse 19. We're going to get through this whole chapter today. Verse 19, he says, Though I'm free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone, subjugated to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. That's his heart. Verse 20, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I I myself am not under the law, so as to win those who are under the law. These are like really fundamentalist Jews. He stepped into the hyper-legalist 
Jewish sandals and he like became like them. And he was, he knew, he disagreed, but he's like, you know, like I'm, I'm going to hold my opinions extremely loosely and be with and be with. And verse 21. So to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. These are the Gentiles who know nothing of Jewish law. Why? So as to win them. Verse 22. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. You could sub vulnerable there. You could sub worthless according to society there. To the weak, I became weak to win them. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Is this our heart? It's not always mine. And it's most clear that this is not my heart when I'm at home with those that I love and I want my way. (laughs) I can preach this and immediately there's a million fingers pointing back at my own life. And why does he do this? Verse 23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. And so you guys, this is where Paul's whole umbrella of unity theme comes back around. His thesis All of you have the same mind. What does that look like? This is immensely practical now. This is what it looks like. Boots on the ground. And it is hard. So hard. But in the name of unity in Jesus, and because I want to be hyper aware that my knowledge can make me arrogant, while my love can build up my community, I choose to make myself weak if it means loving the weak into the kingdom. And I'd rather be wronged, like chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians says. Why not rather be cheated in a lawsuit situation to show the love of Christ in a sacrificial posture? It's like, I'd rather be wronged if it means loving the wrong into the kingdom. And here's Paul's words. I choose to become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And let's bring it into San Diego. Let's bring it into Point Loma. Miramar, El Cajon, wherever you live, what does this mean for you in your family? Maybe there's just a spectrum of opinion on what's going on in the world, in your family, like there is in mine. What does it mean for you to enter everyone's lives to them? I became as them to win them. There's no them anymore. I became them to win them. What does that mean for you? For us as a whole church, this has meant collectively, we've given up our right to physically assemble in that building. Indoors and instead, we're putting on masks. Nobody loves this. (laughs) Nobody's getting a kick out of these masks. Put them on and distance. Nobody loves, but this has communicated and continues to communicate love for the weak in Jesus' name. And so we're going to bend over backwards for people to see Jesus through Park Hill. And you've done so well in this. So massive well done. What else might it mean? Like, This might mean doing this for another year. Like who, only God knows this thing, man. It's crazy town for the sake of the vulnerable and honor of all people. This might mean personally sacrificing comforts. Paul mentions eating and drinking for the sake of others. This will for sure mean giving up the need to be right many times for me, for sure. This has meant giving up my addiction to being correct in order to enjoy the blessings of the gospel. 
And, and for, very practically for me, it's a choice between someone gives me their opinion and then I go, oh, yeah, well, here's mine. Instead of that, I, I've found for me what works is like, oh, really? Tell me more of how you came to that opinion. And just staying there. It's like continuing to fish out more and more of their heart and being genuinely interested. That, 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 has, that has ended far better many times for me. So church family, as we step into 2021, let this be our posture. This is how we share in the gospel. Wouldn't it be amazing, you guys, if Park Hill Church was known for being this kind of church where people are, everyone's honored, different perspectives are heard, lived experiences are all validated so that the world sees the beauty of Jesus through us. And I've actually heard over and over again from outside this community, people outside going like, I've, I know someone that goes to Park Hill or I'm watching online or I see like, how, how, do you, how does everyone continue to unify in this moment? You guys are doing it so unified and honoring in a time of division and in a time of opinions. And of course, I, I want to say it again. There's nothing wrong with having opinions. I'm not short of opinions. I am not short of those. Um, I have lots of them, many of which you will never hear because they just don't matter, honestly. The problem is not having opinions. It's how we hold them, right? And so on that, on that note, you guys, leading a church through 2020 was, I'll just say, a unique challenge. Not because of the differences of opinions, but because of all the different ways we hold them and the closeness to our hearts that we hold them. We had to even walk through this as a leadership team. The staff didn't agree with each other about everything. And we had different feelings about what was exactly going on politically and how to push and pull and bring the gospel into specifics in the political landscape and, and all of that. And thankfully, we, what we did agree on is that praying together was non-negotiable. And so that's what we did. And it saved us. Jesus saved us. We all realize that's the only way to keep our eyes on the prize, which is why we are moving into prayer like never before as a church. We believe the whole church, the hope for the whole church is to cultivate a conversation with Jesus and to do it through prayer. I grew up knowing intercession really well, praying my list of needs to God but there's so much more. There's listening to his voice. There's responding in worship, intimacy, back and forth, individually with Jesus and in corporate prayer meetings like what we're gonna do on Tuesday nights. Please come. I think it is a spiritual life or death issue for us and for the church at large. We need to come together around prayer. So listen, don't assume 2021 will be easier than 2020. There is going to be a whole new wave of new cycles and vaccines and health orders and political noise. And along with all of that, plenty of opinion. And so the question is, are we willing to submit our opinions and our freedoms and our rights and lay them at the throne of King Jesus for the sake of the gospel in San Diego? Are we willing? That's the question. Let's do that. Let's submit those things to Jesus. It won't be easy, which is why Paul ends the chapter talking about marathons and boxing as metaphors, like the hardest things you can do physically. And look at verse 24 through 27. He's like, don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? 
run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave. I make my body my servant so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So Paul finishes this section on giving up rights. And you know, it's a huge ask. It goes against the grain of our humanity in a way. And so he uses marathoning and boxing as examples. Why? Because they all knew about the Isthmian Games. They were held in Corinth every year. The Olympic Games were every other year. And the Isthmian were the odd years. And everybody loved the games because people would train like crazy and then run and fight each other until they were almost dead. What's better than that, right? And, And the winner would get the prize. You know what the prize was at the Isthmian Games? A crown made of celery. That was the Isthmian crown. Withered celery, dehydrated in the Mediterranean sun. Epic prize. Of course, along with it came all of the status and the praise and all of the value that was downloaded into that celery came from humans, right? And so Paul's point is pretty simple. If those athletes train that hard for a temporary celery crown imbued with human approval, how much more should apprentices of Jesus be training mind, body, and soul to receive a crown that will not wither, that is filled with the praise of God? Well done, my good and faithful servant. And that comes in the form of resurrection of our bodies, Fellowship with God and one another in resurrected bodies and the new heavens and new earth. That is the crown, you guys. And remember back in 1 Corinthians 6, our physical bodies are not separate from our spirituality. They're instruments of our spirituality. God's interested in our whole body and mind and soul. So this call, 2021's call to unity and to submissiveness toward one another in love, it's a whole body call a whole mind. It requires the whole person that you are to follow Jesus physically, psychologically, and emotionally, growing in love, laying down our rights for others, maturing in generosity and in our sexuality and in our hospitality. And it takes hard work, hard work, practicing the way of Jesus. Thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity has breathed his power and promised himself to us to fuel and animate our effort to follow Jesus and grow together as a church. We have his power, you guys. This is a call to run, but not alone. We need to look to Jesus for a life well lived. You guys, the cross is 1 Corinthians 9 on the street, the cross. Jesus gave up his rights, gave up his life and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So so that's the call, guys. We're going to come to communion now. We're going to come to the bread and the cup. Faithfulness in gathering. How are you doing with scripture reading? It's a new year, great time to pick up the scriptures again and to ask the spirit, what would you say to me every day through this collection of books that you've breathed into your church? Jesus wants to introduce himself to you afresh this year and to remind you, you are a loved daughter 
and a loved son through the scriptures and through committed community and through prayer together this month on Tuesday nights. Let's run well, which means mind, body, soul, given to this project of unity. Not an addiction to being right, but killing that addiction. Coming to community saying, hi, my name is Evan, and I'm addicted to being right. (laughs) And then letting the spirit work. Can we be this kind of church together? Heavenly Father, I am your son, we are your children, and we ask for your help, and you give help freely through your Holy Spirit, so we trust that you're with us. And we pray right now that you would come, Holy Spirit, wash us afresh for a new year in you, search our hearts. If there's anything inside of us that doesn't belong, we give it to you. May you heal our brokenness, heal our diseases, forgive us our sin, and send us with love into our church and into our city. The world needs an accurate, beautiful reflection of the character of Jesus. Make us like you, we pray. Before we come to the table, let's just ask the Holy Spirit during this song, how, Holy Spirit, are you calling me to become like so-and-so that I might win so-and-so? Maybe it's a posture about your opinions. God is calling you to let go of that posture because it's doing more harm than good in relationships. Whatever it might be, ask. He'll give wisdom. He'll shine his loving light and offer healing. Let's spend a song with the Holy Spirit.